She knew where the real source of power lay. And she knew the one who was linked up to the power of God, this man of God. And that's the reason I fear for the emphasis that is given here over and over. The man of God. Now, Gehazi, he represents carnal religionists. And we know the end of Gehazi, chapter 5, when he is the servant uh, of Elisha and he takes the money of, of Naaman. He's cursed with the very leprosy that Naaman had. So this Gehazi is empty. He is, yes, doing what he's told, but he has nothing from God. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher. It is a privilege always to bring the message of God's Word to you today, wherever you are, whatever you might be doing. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to you to stay with us. Join us for the message as we go through the program today. We're going to deal again with the model woman. And this is the Shunammite woman who displayed tremendous faith and rested in the Lord. And the Lord did great things for her. And I hope that we will have that spirit of praise where we can testify of God's marvelous provisions because we learned to lean on the Lord and put our complete trust in him. This is our Elisha series, uh, the man who had the double portion as he sought to serve the Lord. And I pray that you'll stay with us as we come to that in just a moment. We'll continue with our Righteousness Exalteth a Nation segment. And we're dealing with why I hate alcohol. And as I got down to this, I saw there are so many reasons why we should detest this very thing. And, of course, Solomon has given us many solid reasons. He said in Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And, of course, we know how very quickly strong drink will destroy a person's wisdom and their discernment. And uh, that is, is a constant problem. Anybody un making decisions under the influence of alcohol is usually a fool, and strong drink is raging. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Those that are leaders, those that are in the business of making decisions and judgment that affect others, well, they cannot afford to even touch the stuff whatsoever. And here is a call uh, to abstinence, to temperance, that we might be wise in leadership. Another proverb, Proverbs 31, 6, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. And so we see that this is uh, just another example of what alcohol does. It destroys. It will cause people even to perish. And we cannot afford to be in that league whatsoever. So stay tuned today as we come to that segment. And right now, as we come to this model woman, Second Kings 4. Now, before we go to the end character reference on her, 
There's one other thing I want to point out. She was a winning woman. She was winning her husband. You will see how she honored him. She sought leave to take that trip to Carmel to find Elisha. And she was obviously submitting to her husband in all things that she could. And she says here in verse 22, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men. And as I mentioned, her husband doesn't seem to be very strong in spiritual things. He doesn't even perhaps understand what's in her heart, but she does honor her husband where she can. This reminds us of Peter's words, likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And here's an example of a woman who certainly is strong in faith. Her husband doesn't do much by way of faith, and she graciously, wisely wins her husband by doing what she can to honor him. So here is a model woman winning her husband. The last point is that she was a rewarded woman. The great proof of this, of course, is the miracle of the raising of her son. What a mighty, mighty reward this was. The woman who honored the prophet honored the Lord in doing that, and in the hour of need persisted and prayed and sought Elisha, she was rewarded. Now, in Matthew 10, we're told, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Uh, That all ties into our dedication, our commitment to the Lord and to his kingdom and to his work. And so I take this Shunammite woman as a picture of a Christ-like woman. She is one who is honoring the Lord, and she, from beginning to end, displays consistent confidence that it will be well, and God will come through for me. Now, I want to point out that she and this narrative, the, the, the writer here, gives this title to Elisha, the man of God. If you look at verse 9, where she is talking to her husband here, and she says, Behold, I perceive that this is an holy man of God. And that title, that character reference to Elisha is repeated in verse 16. Nay, my Lord, thou man of God. Verse 22, that I may run to the man of God. Verse 25, she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And then verse 27 again, you'll notice right there, and the man of God said, let her alone. So this is Elisha. You can see here, faith grows. Though service and commitment to the Lord, our faith grows stronger and stronger. There is nothing like fellowship with the Lord. 
And that's what this woman had. And that's the conviction that was growing within her heart. She, in the Old Testament way, was able to look onto Jesus. Are we doing that tonight? Let's jump out of the story for a moment and just speak to our own hearts. Are we daily, constantly looking onto Jesus? Now, in this old world, every day seems to bring a new facet of decisions, problems, setbacks, issues, news from here, news from there. And it seems the older you grow, the faster they come. And in the midst of all of that, we need to truly live the Christian life by looking unto Jesus. Now, you remember when I preached on that from Hebrews 12? Looking unto Jesus means looking away off unto Jesus. It's taking your eyes off the other things and looking unto Jesus. That's what this woman did. And she was rewarded and blessed because she truly did keep her eyes on the man of God. Now, secondly, she had no confidence in the mere form of religion. And I refer here to Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. Now, over these years, the boy was born, grew up, and before this crisis of his death, she had years to observe Gehazi as well as Elisha. And she knew that he was not a prophet. The test came, of course, when she arrived at Mount Carmel and seeking Elisha's help after the death of the boy. The young boy had gone out into his father's field, and now he is sent home. He's died. She has gone to Elisha for help, and she went on a donkey led by a young man running alongside, perhaps, as she sat riding at whatever speed they could get up to Mount Carmel. And after making the 15-mile trip, she met Gehazi first. Elisha saw the Shunammite in the distance. He sent his servant, go meet her. And verse 27, when she came to the man of God to the hill, well, sorry, uh, verse 26, run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? What did she say to Gehazi? It is well. But she really didn't want to talk to Gehazi. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. Gehazi would have pulled her away. But Elisha said, no, this woman is burdened in heart. Let her alone. She is vexed within her. And there she is before Elisha. Now, Elisha sends Gehazi, take my staff, run with all your might. Don't talk to anybody. Don't get distracted. Don't get into conversation. Run to the home where the child is lying. And of course, you would have expected the woman to run after him, get her lad to turn the donkey, get going, and join Gehazi. But no, she remains at Elisha's feet, and that's where she quotes these great words 
I will not leave thee. Now, she was quite right in what she decided. She was very discerning because Gehazi's attempt to raise the boy was a failure. We're told that he ran in, took that staff given to him by Elisha, put it on his face. Nothing happened. And he just left with the report, came back to Elisha saying, the child is not awaked. Gehazi was a great disappointment. I'm sure there were many people thinking, he's from Elisha, we know him, and he's sent with this staff. Surely he is going to raise the son. But none of that had impressed this woman of faith. She knew where the real source of power lay. And she knew the one who was linked up to the power of God, this man of God. And that's the reason I fear for the emphasis that is given here over and over. The man of God. Now, Gehazi, he represents carnal religionists. And we know the end of Gehazi, chapter 5, when he is the servant uh, of Elisha and he takes the money of, of Naaman. He's cursed with the very leprosy that Naaman had. So this Gehazi is empty. He is, yes, doing what he's told, but he has nothing from God. And this discerning woman seemed to pick up on that. He had a form of religion, but none of the power. And in the New Testament, we are told that there are those who have in a form or an appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. And so we are warned and told here to avoid trusting in empty, formal religion without the power of God. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about membership, card-carrying, church-going people, the choir robe, but it doesn't bring anyone the robe of Christ's righteousness. Uh, the names, the signs, the symbols of Christianity are all empty if Christ is not within your heart. And there is no holiness in homilies that don't lead to the gospel and its grace. There's no righteousness in rituals when Christ is absent. And so we need the power of the gospel where the apostle said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. And so it was this woman's determination, wisely, wisely, and it played out so true to put no trust in that staff, in Gehazi, in that rushing method. She led hold of Elisha and said, I will not leave thee. What about us? How easily we would get distracted to form religion, the shell of profession, and leave the power that is in our Lord Jesus. Last week we learned about the fullness that is in Christ from that experience of the pot where the oil kept flowing and flowing and filled every pot. That's our Lord who fills our lives. And if we leave 
him, we'll end up in empty form without the very power of God. Now, lastly tonight, her confidence in the man of God was honored. And of course, she said, I will not leave thee, which meant Elisha had to go along. And we're told here that uh, he went with her. And when he went with her, well, the miracle happened. And we are told in this very clear story that he followed her, met Gehazi coming back, child had not awaked, and then Elisha arrived at the house, verse 32, the child was dead and laid upon his bed, the prophet's bed, that is, up in that little loft, and Elisha went in, therefore, shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And there the miracle took place. There what had been an absolute failure with Gehazi became the wonderful and amazing victory. Now, I want you to notice Elisha's method. He prayed once. He stretched himself upon the body of the dead child and warmed it. He repeated the process again, verse 35. He made himself warming the body of the child. He made himself the channel of life. And this was Elisha praying, Lord, work through me. Work through me. Take me as the vessel to bring life to this boy. And then, of course, the answer, he sneezed seven times. What wonderful sneezes they were to express the life that had returned into his body. Now, in closing tonight, I want you to think in the difference between Gehazi who failed and Elisha who prevailed. With Gehazi, he just rushed in with the staff. There was no prayer. There was no closing the door in privacy to seek God. And there was no perseverance. He just did it once and left. With Elisha, he firstly prayed, and then he warmed the child's body. And then we see the agony of the man calling on God when he walked to and fro through the house. And you can just picture the agony, the burden that was in Elisha's heart. And he's calling upon his God to come in power and raise this child. And after he prays first, he warms the child's body. He then walks to and fro through the house, and he goes up again into the loft. He again warms the child's body, and life returns to him. A very unique miracle in the Bible, but a great picture of resurrection. The lesson for us tonight is that spiritual work is never done easily. It's never done just perfunctually. It's never just a form, but it is a burden of the heart. It is a calling upon God. It's a shutting the door. I must get alone with God on this. And then the walking to and fro in the home, the burden that was upon his heart, all of this comes through 
as we see the man of God, Elisha, bringing this child to life. Now, the lessons we have here I wrap up with, the need for earnest prayer, the use of human means, the need for persistence, and in this event, God was preparing the world for the one who is the resurrection and the life. Because as you think of Elisha being a little Christ, a prophet picturing Christ, this is, these are the works that Christ shall do. The great prophet of the covenant shall do. There would be an expectation that he would do such things or greater things than Elisha. And of course, we know the many events and the people whom our Lord raised from the dead. And of course, himself, he is the resurrection and the life. And to us, these words come to us, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Let us keep our eyes on the Lord. Let us not trust in riches. Let us not put our trust in man or v in religion. And remember that Christianity is Christ, a person, a living person. And we need a real faith, a real burden, and to seek the real power that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us. I trust you'll be encouraged through God's Word. We come now to another segment on Righteousness Exalteth a Nation, and we're dealing with alcohol. And I want to share with you, our listener, on why I hate alcohol. And I hate the use of alcohol when I study the alcohol industry. I see their false advertising with rich people in full health and always enjoying life. But it's a lie. Misery is in every bottle. They get rich on the backs of the vulnerable and the foolish. If alcohol kills people, then they who make it and distribute for the profit are living off the gain of murder. The whole alcohol trade is despicable, and our government has gotten into the business too, and now it has been sold in our grocery stores. If gospel work and rescue work, calling people out of vice and misery, is the Lord's work, then the liquor trade is the devil's work, and liquor traders are the devil's agents. They will reap an awful harvest. In times of revival, pubs are closed and the barrels of booze are emptied down the gutters of the streets. Those who peddle it repent and seek wholesome employment. Remember, that the alcohol content is much higher today than ever before. The invention of distilling has increased the alcohol level many times over. Distilleries are the name for the modern factories that make alcohol. With their science and tricks of the trade, they make their lackey consumers more thirsty for beer and hard liquor. The next time you watch sports, count the ads and see how they associate beer with good times but only when you're drinking their beer. Yet if a hockey player was to turn to alcohol, his manager would ball him out. Alcohol will not an athlete make. 
It makes dupes and sodden fools who are made slaves to intoxicating themselves. There is a great waste in the production of beer, wine, and strong drink. Thousands and millions of acres in Canada are devoted to growing produce of grapes, grain, and hops, and other produce for the making of alcohol. Truck and train loads of bountiful harvest of this country go to the liquor trade. Those acres could be producing food for the nations or increase the GDP of this nation. And if the total sum spent on alcohol in Canada within a calendar year was put toward feeding the hungry and housing the homeless, we would have a country to be very proud of. Plus, think on this. If the booze industry was shut down, multitudes now out of work, in ill health, and living on the streets would be saved from such ruin. Our hospitals would be freed up as the health of the whole nation would improve. I wish I could point to a society on earth that is totally free from the sale of hard liquor, but I can't. Russia is infamous for its vodka, Scotland for its whiskey, Germany for beer, and France and Italy for wine. This is a worldwide problem. It defies psychologists on how to end it. But the first step would be to take the money out of it. I'd rather serve a cup of cold water in Jesus' name than serve alcohol, which is the devil's buttermilk. It's time that we resurrected the teetotalers' club again and worked for abstinence. The teetotalism movement was first started in Preston, England, in the early 19th century. The Preston's Temperance Society was founded in 1833 by Joseph Livesey, who was to become a leader of the temperance movement and the author of the pledge. We agree to abstain from all liquors of an intoxicating quality, whether eel, porter, wine, or ardent spirits, except as medicine. If we love our country, its people, and the souls of men, we will labor tirelessly to put an end to the evils of the liquor trade. I hope that today that you will be stirred to reconsider ever using alcohol or ever encouraging another to use what may destroy him in body and also destroy his soul. Jesus came into the world to set men free. He came to give victory over vice, and he will give us power to say no to this evil that has come upon our world and our nation. I pray that you will be set free from such bondage and that you will serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And there is the answer to living the Christian life. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.